Good morning, how are you doing? Good to see you guys. You look good. Um, today we are continuing our series called Way of Wisdom. We're going through the book of Proverbs, and today is part 25. Wow, we've been in this for a long time. And um, not, a whole, not too many weeks left. We are, are getting toward the end of our series on the book of Proverbs, but we are continuing through it. Way of Wisdom, part 25, and today's topic is peer pressure. Um, by the end of this sermon, I think you will see why I picked for this particular topic to fall on this particular Sunday. Um, but I don't think it'll be obvious at first. And the, and the sermon sort of has a surprise ending. So um, peer pressure is the topic. And if you're here, and there may be some of you that, that when you hear that, you go like, oh, Mario, isn't peer pressure a, um, like a teenager issue? Like, I heard that you, you know, you used to be a youth pastor, and so you probably got a really good lesson on peer pressure for the teens to hear. But, like, did you forget this is adult church? Like, why in the world would you do a sermon on peer pressure? And so I have two answers to that question. First one is this. Um, there are teenagers here. Okay, so that's my first answer is there are, there are people, humans, who are 13 years old and 15 years old and 17 years old and 19 years old who attend this church, and I'm their pastor too. And I need to be able to speak to them. And so for those of you who are in middle school and high school and college, like kind of college age, I hope that you will listen to what I have to say this morning. Um, the second reason I wanted to talk about this, though, is this is an issue that does not magically go away when you turn 21. It's so the, the idea that it's like, well, that's a kid thing, and then you become an adult, and then no one ever influences anyone else ever again. Like, that's not true. This does not go away. And so if you, when you think of uh, the words peer pressure, if you picture one of those scenes from a TV show or a movie from like the 80s or 90s or early 2000s, you know those peer pressure scenes where they would have, um, it usually typically takes place in a high school, and there's a bad kid that walks into the frame, and you can tell he's a bad kid right away by the way he's dressed, right? He's, depending on the era that it was filmed, it might be a black leather jacket, it might be a backwards baseball cap, but something that lets you know like he's pure evil. And then he walks in, and then on the other side of the screen walks in the good kid, and the good kid's wearing bright colors in his clothes, and his shirt is respectfully tucked in. And at some point, bad kid, said, you know, backwards baseball cap kid says to tucked in shirt kid, you know, hey, smoke this, or hey, drink this, like, or we won't be your friend anymore if you don't, or something like that. And tucked in shirt kid's going, I don't know, my parents told me I'm not supposed to, you know, and then it goes to commercial break and you're like, what's he going to do? And if that is what you picture when you think of peer pressure, then of course you're going to think that this sermon is not about you and it has nothing to do with you. Right, Because if you're an adult, that never happens. And if you're in middle school, high school, and college, you've got to admit, that rarely happens. Like That's not how it works. Peer pressure is much more subtle and much more powerful than that. So I have just like a few observations I wanted to make before we go jump into our proverb for this morning. Um, I wanted to talk to you about peer pressure in general. I wanted to remind you of some things maybe that you know or maybe just tell you some things you didn't know. Peer pressure, which is this people influencing um, other people that they, that they know and they surround themselves with and are friends with, um, this issue is something that can happen the way that we think of it happening, like with words, but peer pressure can be something that happens without any words being spoken at all. Like a lot of times we think of it as someone saying, do this thing or I won't like you anymore, but, but peer pressure can be something that doesn't involve any words. It can be... Facial expressions, it can be gestures. You can be in a situation, and in fact, you probably have been in a situation, where you were about to do something and somebody looked at you, and then you were like, oh, we don't, 
we don't do that here? You know what I mean? And, and they didn't say a word, but you changed your behavior because of the way they looked at you. No words even have to be exchanged for people to influence other people. In fact, there's a story of kind of something crazy that happened to me when I was in college. It's never happened before, ever. It didn't happen before that or ever again. But one time when I was, I don't know, I think it was during the first two years of college, I was going to CF here in town, and I went with some friends of mine to eat at Longhorn Steakhouse. It's still there, the one that's on 17th Street. And we're all sitting at the table, and back then, the, they would bring bread to your table. They still do bring bread to your table, but back then they brought it to you on a cutting board, and then they had a wide blade knife that was sticking in the bread. Do you remember that? I think now the, the knife's on the side. Maybe some accident happened, and they're worried now. But, but back then, it was a cutting board with a bread and with a knife stuck, sticking out of the bread, and they would drop it off at your table, and then I guess some, you're supposed to cut it up into pieces and share it you know, among the people at the table. Well, I'm sitting there with my friends around this table, and I don't remember who the person was. I don't know exactly how it worked, but they picked up the knife, and they turned it upright. And I'm not sure what happened. Maybe the bread was particularly firm that day, but they, they moved the, the, they're holding the knife upright with the bread stuck still to it at the top of the, at the top of the, it's like a bread lollipop. Like it's a knife with the bread still stuck to it. And so this guy is holding this knife with bread on the end of it, and I guess he's trying to decide, well, what do I do now? So he took a bite of it, okay, <laughs> like a candy apple, and that was his portion, and now what do you do? And so then he handed it to the person next to him. <laughs> and the person next to him now got, gets handed a knife with a loaf of bread on top of it with a bite missing, and, and what did that person do? Well, they, they took a bite of it and handed it to the person next to them. This actually happened. And the third person now receives a loaf with two bites taken out of it, a knife stuck into it, and they took a bite and handed it to the person next to them. And so when it comes to me at this point, because I'm sitting at this table and I get handed this knife with bread with bites taken out of it, what am I being pressured to do in that moment? Take a bite, right? Now, even though nobody said anything, I mean, I don't know if they did, I can't remember. I don't think we were silent around the table. But I also do not remember anyone like pounding the table going, do it, do it, eat the bread or we won't be your friend. That, that wasn't what it was. It was ju they just handed it to me, and because of what had happened before, I understood what was expected of me. So what did I do? I took a bite and handed it to the person next to me. I'm not going to be uncool. <laughs> and the next person did it, and it went all the way around the table. Everybody at the table did it. Everybody at the table did what everybody else did. And even though, we, even though no one was trying to persuade anyone to do that, and even though that was a behavior that none of us normally did, at least I assume. I don't know. I never had done it before then, and I've been to Longhorn several times since then. I've never done it again. <laughs> it was that one time that everybody in the table got me to, do, to, to eat bread in a very unusual way, and nobody had to say anything because it was, just, it was very obvious what everyone else was doing. Another thing about peer pressure is it doesn't have to be just about actions. It can be about beliefs. It doesn't just have to be someone who, who is like getting you to do something different. It can be that just the people around you cause you to believe something different than you believed before. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been hanging out with somebody? And at the time, by the time you were done, you didn't change what you were doing, but you changed your mind about something? And then the last thing that I wanted to say in this little introductory section is peer pressure is something that can be bad or good. And that is something that I think is not focused on, at least when I was a kid, that we were never taught that. When I was growing up, all the public service announcements and the parents and the teachers and the TV shows all talked about peer pressure as if it were a wholly negative thing. 
It was only talked about it, don't cave into peer pressure. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. If you're a kid, you know, you're 14, you go, what are you supposed to do with peer pressure? You knew what the answer is. Don't cave into peer pressure. The assumption was, if someone your age is trying to get you to do something, it's bad, right? If anybody tries to get you to do anything, don't, right? Don't cave into peer pressure. There didn't even seem to be a category for someone trying to pressure you to do the right thing. And so you were just told, don't cave into peer pressure. But what we're going to see from the Bible this morning is that's not true. Peer pressure can be with, with or without words. It can be about your beliefs or your actions. And it can be bad or it can be good. If you have your Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. This is the main verse that we're going to focus on this morning. And Proverbs 13, verse 20 says this. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Oh, such a powerful verse. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. We can see that there is such a thing as negative peer pressure. It does exist. You look at the second half of the verse, a companion of fools will suffer harm. There can be people in your life who push you toward harm. But what's interesting is the first half of the verse. The one who walks with the wise will become wise. I don't think I was taught this growing up. People can push you toward wisdom. You can be pushed, influenced by other people toward wisdom. So let's go ahead and look at the verse kind of phrase by phrase, or at least some of the phrases in it. All right? um, the one who walks with the wise. So what does this mean, walks with? I will let you know right now, it is not something that is to be taken super literally, as if there's something about walking that has magical powers to be able to transfer wisdom in a way that like riding in a car with someone would not, or eating on a table with someone at Taco Bell would not, right? Walks with is not specifically about walking with, it's about spending time with. You can tell that because the, the parallel to walks with in this verse is, do you know? Want to see if any, can you guess? Can you tell? Yeah, companion of. The one who walks with the wise will become wise. And then it doesn't say the one who walks with fools will suffer harm. It says the one who is a companion of fools will suffer harm. Walks with is the same thing as companion of. So we look at this verse and we realize it's saying, okay, the one who spends time with the wise, the one who hangs out with the wise will become wise. Okay, well, that's good. Now, what's wise mean? What is wise? I mean, we've got two different categories here. We've got the wise and we've got fools. What does, the, what does Proverbs mean when it talks about wise and fool? And if you have been here for the past like 24 weeks or so, I hope you already know the answer to this. Do you know this? That, that wise and fool does not just mean smart and dumb, right? There is a lot of overlap in the book of Proverbs between the word wise and the word righteous. And there's a lot of overlap in the book of Proverbs between the words fool or foolish and wickedness. It's not just, this is not just, if you walk, if you hang out with smart people, you'll become smart, you know, but if you hang out with silly people to do silly things, no, that's not what it's saying. It's taught, it's, this, there's a moral component to wisdom and foolishness that we see throughout the book of Proverbs. The first nine chapters, I think, make it really clear because the, the words wise and righteous are sometimes almost used just as synonyms or interchangeably throughout the first part of Proverbs. Same thing for fool and then wicked. There's just an assumption that the person that's doing the wrong thing and walking away from God is a fool. I'll show you this in a few of the verses. Let me show you this in Proverbs 9, verse 10. Proverbs 9, 10 is maybe one of the most famous verses in the book of Proverbs. It says this, Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 
So one thing that we see here is there's a connection between wisdom and the way that we relate to God, right? Wisdom is not just smart because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And there are people who are smart that don't fear the Lord. Is that correct? That is correct. Plenty of people, they don't know, they don't know God and they're smart. But this is saying the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This kind of understanding or this kind of wisdom is talking about a specific, I think, a specific kind of wisdom. It's the wisdom of walking in God's ways. God created the world. He has a way that things are. And when you walk in God's ways, you are walking in in this world the way that God has made it to be. That is wisdom. And so wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. That's how it begins. Now we've talked about this phrase, fear of the Lord, throughout the series as well. The word fear does not necessarily mean terrorized by or terrified of. It's a word that can mean super reverence or super respect, right? That it means the worship of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It seems to be a parallel with knowledge of God, like actually knowing God, the people who know God and follow God and worship God. That is how wisdom begins. That's how you walk in the right ways, okay? And it's, not, and it, it's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom, and we've also talked about this throughout the series, the word Lord is a specific word. It's not just the generic word for God. It's Yahweh, right? It's the Old Testament God. The God of Israel is the Lord here. It's the same God of the New Testament, the God who sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Or in some ways you could say the God who is Jesus that came and died on the cross for our sins. The book of Mark seems to talk about Jesus' coming as the same thing as Yahweh's coming. So this is not just generic God. This is versus not saying if you have respect for some God, that is what will make you wise. No, there is a specific God who made this world. His ways are the right ways. And to fear him, to worship him, that's the beginning of wisdom. Here's another verse that connects wisdom to something more than just smart. Because like, like I said, there's intelligent people that, that don't know God. Another one is Proverbs 9, verse 9. It's actually the verse just before this one. Proverbs 9.9 9 says, Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will learn more. This verse is very common kind of verse that you find in Hebrew poetry, which is you have two sentences that are sort of the same thing twice. It's a sentence, and then it's the same thing again, but with different words. Instruct a wise man, and what happens? He'll become wiser still. Teach a righteous man, what happens? He will learn more. But the reason I pick this verse is I want you to notice wise man and righteous man are used interchangeably. That's what I was talking about. You see that a lot in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. So we've got, and, and it's, I think it's assumed through all the chapters of Proverbs. So back to our verse, Proverbs 13, 20. The person who walks with, hangs out with, spends a bunch of time with, the wise, the one who fears the Lord, the one who is righteous and walking in God's ways, will become one who fears the Lord and is righteous and walking in God's ways, right? But a companion of fools, someone who has rejected God, someone who is turning away from God's ways, the harm that comes upon fools will come upon them. So apparently God's ways can be spread from person to person. Like if that's what wisdom is, if wisdom is walking in the ways of God, then God's ways can be spread from person to person. I think I heard a pastor say it this way one time. I think he said, apparently wisdom is contagious, and that's, that's good to know. Now, I think foolishness is also contagious. And that's something that probably most of us knew before we walked in here, right? That's why we were told when we were kids, don't cave into peer pressure. Because we knew, we knew foolishness, the ways of this world are contagious. But I think it's good to know that it works both ways. 
It's not just that foolishness is contagious. What a, what a blessing, what a wonderful thing to know that wisdom is contagious, that righteousness is contagious. Who you surround yourself with can affect how you revere and follow God. And who you surround yourself with can lead to your ruin. That is good to know. Let me go ahead and illustrate this for you. I think that, and I'm just going to illustrate it in a very small, sort of normal life way. That when we spend time with people, it, will, it, it, it can change what we believe and how we behave and even how we relate to God. And I'm going to use an illustration that I think is an unusual one for peer pressure because I think peer pressure is almost always, it's like, um, drink this, smoke this, let's rob this jiffy store together, but something like that. It's thievery or drug use or alcohol. We covered a lot of that last week. Um, so I'm, we're not going to go into those. Let, let me pick one that's not usually talked about when we talk about peer pressure. I'm going to go ahead with the issue of contentment and thankfulness. When it comes to how content we are with what God has blessed us with and how thankful we are to God for the, what he has done for us. I just want you to imagine this. Imagine you're hanging out with a family for the weekend. And imagine that family is, they have a higher income than you. Okay? These people make more money than you do. And as you hang out with them, it seems like real obvious by the stuff they do and the stuff they have and the stuff they talk about. You go, wow, these people make a lot more money than I do. But I want you to imagine that these people who make a lot more money than you are also people who are not satisfied with what they have. So can you picture this? You're hanging out with a family who's got way more than you and wishes they had more. And so there you are, and you're hanging out with them, and you're like, whoa, I don't have one of those, and whoa, they have so much more than me. And then they're talking, and as they're talking, it's like, yeah, I wish I could get, I need to get a newer one, I need to get another one. And it's possible in some situations, I think, that you can walk away from that weekend thinking to yourself, I don't make enough money. Maybe even if you didn't think that before, now you do. You walk away going, I don't make enough money. And someone might ask you, how do you know you don't make enough money? And you could say, well, because I make way less than them. And they don't make enough money. <laughs> I know they don't make enough money because they told me all weekend long. And I don't make what they make. So I know that I don't make enough. And then imagine, imagine the, the following weekend, you hang out with a different family. Imagine that weekend you hang out with a family who, may, who is poorer than you. But imagine this particular family that's poorer than you is also satisfied with what God has given them. And imagine you're sitting around the table and you're about to eat dinner and somebody says, let's pray. Okay, let's pray. And you close your eyes and you pray. And someone thanks God for the food. And you're like, well, I think they're actually thankful for the food. And then maybe somebody else across the table from you says, dear God, I just want to thank you for this food, that you would bless it to our bodies. And, and I thank you for the Plymouth Voyager that you have blessed me with. Ooh, it was difficult getting around with just one car. I am so thankful we now have a second car and we can fit everybody in it at the same time. So thank you so much for that Plymouth Voyager. And, and you're sitting there trying to be respectful with your eyes closed because you're praying, but you've got one eye open like looking out the window at the Plymouth Voyager in the driveway. And you're going, like, that thing? That's the thing that you're thanking God for? Like, that's a blessing? I would have thought that was a curse. Like, I, I thought you lost a bet and someone said you've got to park that in a driveway for a whole week. That's a blessing? A blessing from, from God? You think Plymouth Voyagers are from God? I was certain Satan manufactured those. I can't... You're saying that's a blessing from God? And you could, go away from a, you could go away from a weekend like that and come home and go, you know what? <laughs> I need to be more content with what I have. Thank you, God, for the blessings you've put in my life. 
And I tell you that, I tell you that story because I, don't think, I think that's a very, like that sort of kind of thing happens all the time. That's not some unusual preacher made up this thing, and whoa, and look how God works. Like That's just normal life, isn't it? And another reason I wanted to tell the story that way is because I think it's true that this happens a lot. In both of those stories, the people that were influencing people weren't doing it on purpose. Because I think a lot of times peer pressure is unintentional. Probably most of the time. In those two stories I told, which are very normally kind of stories, nobody was trying to disciple anybody intentionally. The girl that was praying the prayer thanking God for a Plymouth Voyager wasn't trying to disciple the guy across the table from him. And, and the person wasn't trying to be discipled. Those two weekends, let's say you were the person, you, weren't, you didn't have a little notepad with you writing down all the things they were saying so that you're learning how to live your life. It just happened unintentionally. Sometimes you can just walk with someone and get wise or suffer harm. And so what you believe, what you believe about money, what you believe about sexuality what you believe about family, what you believe about LGBT issues, what you believe about church, what you believe about Jesus, all of that will be affected by the people in your life who influence you. I heard a preacher this week that said something along these lines. He said, you think that you are the person that you are because you've decided to be that person. He said, but the truth is, the first part of your life, you are who you are because of the family you grew up in. And the second part of your life, you are who you are because of your friends. Now, I'm not saying that everybody always does what all of their friends do every single time. Okay? I do believe there are times when we reject what the people around us say. I do believe there are times where we reject what the people around us think. And in fact, I think sometimes we're supposed to do that. I think there are times where we find ourselves in situations where we are supposed to do the right thing, and the right thing means I'm going to look at everybody here and go, I know you all feel that way, but here I stand. And there are examples of that in Scripture. Like There are times where we are supposed to say, I don't care what you think, and I don't care what you say. I know this is the right thing to do, and this is what I will do no matter what it costs me. And in Scripture, we'll see, I mean, there's a lot of illustrations of it probably, but some of the best ones, I think, are in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, there are three characters named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are being peer pressured. They are being pressured by the people around them to worship an idol that's not the true God, right? Because an idol is never the true God. That's the second commandment. Um, so they're saying, don't, don't worship the true God, and that's what the people are saying. Don't, you need to worship this idol instead. And they say, we're not going to worship the idol instead. And they say, you've got to worship the idol instead. And they say, we're not going to worship the idol instead. And, and, and they said, well, if you don't, we're going to burn you alive. And they said, then that's what you've got to do. Our God will rescue us from that, and even if he doesn't, we would rather be burned alive than worship your idol because we're not going to be unfaithful to our God. And, and then later on in that same book, it happens again with Daniel, and he says, I'm going to pray even if you tell me not to pray, and they throw him in a lion's den, and in both cases, God does rescue them. But I'm pointing out those two stories just to let you know, throughout the Bible, we do see there are times where someone is supposed to stand up to the people around them and say, no, here's where I stand. And so that is something that's like when people said not to, don't cave into peer pressure, right? When you were a kid, that's not incorrect. There are situations where that's exactly what you got to do. But that's not the focus of this proverb. This proverb is not about the time that you're a companion of fools and you stand firm. This proverb is about just kind of the ordinary life. I think what this proverb is teaching us 
or at least it's emphasizing a certain aspect of life. And I think it's that in many cases, the battle is won or lost before you ever get to the stand firm moment because of who you surrounded yourself with. This verse seems to acknowledge that in ordinary life, you will be affected by peer pressure. Therefore, be strategic about who your peers are. Be careful who you walk with. Be careful who you're a companion of. Now, one issue I wanted to address is this idea of where does wisdom come from? Right? Does wisdom come from God or does wisdom come from wise people? Because this verse seems to say that the way you get wisdom is from wise people. But then there are other places in the Bible that seem to say wisdom is something that comes from God. So which is it? Do I get wisdom by hanging out with wise people or do I get wisdom from God? And so I wanted to put two verses on the screen at the same time for you. One that I read to you earlier and then the, the main one we're learning today. Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs 13.20 says the one who walks with the wise will become wise. Well, which one is it? Do I get wisdom by fearing the Lord or do I get wisdom by walking with the wise? Does wisdom come from God or does wisdom come from people? Well, I believe the answer is both. And not only is it both, but these things are, they're not even in contradiction to each other. Like it's not even like there's a type of wisdom that you get from God and then there's this other type of wisdom that comes from people. It's, I, think, I think it's literally the same wisdom. That there is wisdom that comes from God and sometimes that wisdom that comes from God comes through a person to you. It's God's wisdom from a wise person to you. I think this wisdom is not like, oh, so here's the kind of wisdom that we get from the Lord, and then there's the kind of wisdom you get from people. No, I think it's the one who walks with the wise. These are people who fear the Lord. And so the wisdom that you get from them is the wisdom that is from God. And it is interesting because when we think about um, like the occasions where people ask questions like, how do I grow in righteousness? Sometimes people ask this. Maybe you've had someone ask this to you before. It's come up in a community group meeting or something like that. I think it's especially true when someone first becomes a Christian. Right? Someone becomes a Christian, they go, hey, I just became a Christian two months ago. I believe the gospel. Some, my friend told me that Jesus Christ is the way, and he explained this stuff. He, I was a sinner, and that I deserved to be judged for my sins, and that made sense to me, that if there was a holy God, I should be judged, and I certainly have done wrong things, and that Jesus died on the cross for my sins so that I could be forgiven, and if I trust in him as my Lord and Savior, I will be forgiven, and in fact, he didn't just die on the cross, but he rose again and has eternal life, so that believing in him is not just about forgiveness, but he has the eternal life to give me, and I believe that, and I'm a Christian now but I look at my life and I feel like I'm still a pretty bad person and I'm thankful that I'm forgiven, but how do I, how do I grow in righteousness? How do I progress in my walk with God? And I think a lot of times the answer that we give that person, I think we're very quick to say, pray, read your Bible, go to church. What do I, what do, I do? I, I want to grow in righteousness. I want to follow in God's ways. What do I do? Pray, read your Bible, go to church. And I'm not against any of those things. I am all for all of those things. I think that is, that is the right answer. You should pray and you should read your Bible. You need to know what God's word says and you need to have a relationship with God and talk with him. But we almost, for, we almost completely forget that a huge factor in your spiritual growth is who you surround yourself with. That we say, pray, read your Bible, but, but we, I think we often forget to say, oh, and by the way, your spiritual growth is going to involve changing who you hang out with. 
It's a shame. The person becomes a Christian. They've been Christian for three or four years, and then finally we get around to telling them that. But that's really something you should know right away. Spiritual growth is going to probably involve you changing who you hang out with. Now, having said that, that brings up another question. Does this mean we're not allowed to spend any time with fools? I mean, think about it. If the, the verse says, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. And Mario, you seem to make it sound like fools are like people who don't believe in the true God. So is this verse saying that we should never hang out with non-Christians ever? Is this verse saying, in fact, is this verse saying we shouldn't even hang out with immature Christians, right? Because some of them are foolish. Should we never hang out with non-Christians? Should we never hang out with immature Christians? Is that the point of the verse? And I think the answer to that is no. In fact, throughout the series, I have reminded of you of this over and over again. The Proverbs are principles about how the world ordinarily works. They are not commands that are given universally for every single situation that you will ever encounter. And so I think I heard one pastor say it kind of like this. He said, he said, this verse is not forbidding mentoring relationships. This verse is not forbidding redemptive relationships. So let me explain what that means. First of all, this verse is not forbidding mentoring relationships. This idea that, okay, well, I'm trying to be wise, I'm a wise person, and he who walks with the wise grows wise, so I need to only hang out with wise people, and so that person, if they're not wise, like, hmm, got to stay away from them. No, I don't think this verse is saying that. And in fact, not only does this verse not forbid mentoring relationships, if you look at it closely, I think it assumes mentoring relationships. Do you see it in the verse? Look, just look at the first part. The one who walks with the wise will become wise. So just that, just, just that clause has two people in it, right? One of the people is wise, right? What about the other person? Oh yeah, they're not wise. Well, what is that wise person doing hanging out with that not wise person? And the verse makes it sound like it's good, because it is good. In this, the, the first clause of this verse assumes you've got a wise person hanging out with a not wise person who is becoming wise. The verse does not forbid mentoring relationships, it assumes them. It also does not forbid redemptive relationships. One way we, we know that this verse does not, is not supposed to lead us to the idea of, well, then I should never hang out with someone who doesn't believe in Jesus ever. First, first of all, one way we know that that can't be the right way to live, that's not, it's not true that it's a sin for a Christian to hang out with a non-Christian, is because Jesus did it. Did you know that? Jesus had a reputation for it. Like In some parts of the Bible, it almost looked like Jesus had a bad reputation for that. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners. So we know that it's not a sin to hang out with people who aren't following the true God because Jesus did it and Jesus was sinless. But there's another reason, because you might go, well, yeah, but Jesus, did, but Jesus did a lot of things I can't do, right? He, I can't die on the cross for people's sins and I can't hang out with non-Christians. No, no, this is one of the things Jesus did you can do. Because not only do we know that it's not a sin to hang out with unbelievers because Jesus did it, the other way we know it is because the Great Commission requires it. The Great Commission requires, and if you don't want to know what the Great Commission is, let me just read it to you very quickly. It's what the, one of the very last, maybe kind of the last command that Jesus gave his followers. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. He's talking to his disciples, his followers, and he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So I just want you to think about this. He's, he's talking to disciples, followers of him, and he tells those disciples, go make disciples. Who are they supposed to make disciples out of? People who are not yet disciples, 
right? They're supposed to find people that don't know Jesus and don't trust God, and they're supposed to help those people become people who do follow the true God. And they're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? You're like, you're in. We did a whole ceremony about it. And then look at this, teaching them what? To observe everything I commanded you. The assumption being there are some of you that know my commands, and then there are some people that don't know my commands. And the goal is not stay away from the people who don't know my commands. I, we, we need you to teach them to observe everything that I commanded you. So the point of the sermon this morning is not retreat from society and never speak to anyone but mature Christians. The point for this morning is just don't pretend that your relationship with God is disconnected from the people you spend a lot of time with. So what do you do? Like, how do you apply this to your life? And there's a bunch of people in the room, and I think this verse probably applies to different people in different ways because you're in different stages of life and different situations. There may be some of you in this room that what you need to do is pursue a mentoring relationship that you would purposely pursue, that you would say, um, I'm not as far along in my faith as I wish I was, but I know some people who are as far along in the faith as I wish I was. So I'm going to talk to them about, see if they will, they will help me, see if they will mentor me. Maybe you can just ask them that. In some cases, you don't want to ask them that like that. <clears throat> like if, sometimes if you go up to someone and say, will you mentor me? That sounds like a big deal. Like some people will just, I don't, well, how much time does that take? Like you, some people might say no if you ask them to mentor you. So don't, maybe don't say it that way, okay? Trick them. This is a case where I think it's okay to trick them. <laughs> In some cases, just go up to the person and just say, <clears throat> will you walk with me? Like, will you spend time with me? Just let them accidentally disciple you for a little while, and then you can make it official when you're not so scary. Um, for some of you, um, you might need to drop some friends. Like, that might be the, the, the way you apply this to your life. Um, a companion of fools, if you put up the verse one more time, a companion of fools will suffer harm. There are some of you in this room that you are a companion of fools. You know it. You've actually suffered harm several times because of it. And there may be some of you that you literally just need to drop some of your friends and not be friends with them anymore. And again, that doesn't mean you have to break up with them to their face and go, you're a fool, and I can't ever see you again. Like, you don't have to do it that way. I mean, maybe. Maybe there's some situations that are that bad, you need to do it that way. Probably not. Sometimes you can let a friendship die, just like, sort of like from lack of attention, giving to it, rather than having an official breakup. But there may be some of you that you need to change out your friends. There may be some of you who don't need to like, drop the friend. Maybe for some of you, you just need to redefine some friendships. Maybe you have a best friend that needs to become a regular friend. And maybe there are some of you you do need to break up. Like Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and you just need to break it off with them. Maybe you've even had wise people that have hinted you ought to. For some of you, it might be a business partnership. You own 50% of the business, and they own 50% of the business. And they're a, they're a fool by Proverbs definition. Like they are not following after the true God and you keep getting sucked into their unethical drama and you're feeling like you've got to tell lies to cover up what they did with their half. And it, it may be that you just need to sell your half and get out of that. I'm not giving specific business advice this morning. I'm just saying this is going to apply to different people in different ways. And there may be some of you here who need to join a Good News Church community group. Ah, that was the surprise ending. <laughs> I purposely chose for this topic to fall on this Sunday when we were promoting community groups because I wanted you to think about the fact that there may be some people in this room that what you should do <laughs> is 
Join a group because you're thinking in your mind, what I'm going to do starting now is I'm going to strategically choose some relationships. I'm going to go once a week to a particular place to gather with some people who fear the Lord because I want to fear the Lord too. And I want to keep fearing the Lord and I want to keep doing it in the right way. And so I'm going to strategically choose to spend some time with some people who I don't know well yet. And I want to leverage some of those relationships for my spiritual good and so that I will do God's will. So as we close this morning, will you pray with me? And, and when I say will you pray with me, I mean like literally. I'm going to pray out loud, and would you be willing to silently pray with me as we close in prayer this morning? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how practical Proverbs is. In fact, I feel like there's so many things in, in the Bible that are so, they're, they're theological or they're practical or they're whatever they may be. And there's, there's so much that way that the person preaching it or the person teaching it does things that they couldn't do ordinarily because they wouldn't normally apply or wouldn't normally exhort and wouldn't normally prophesy or they wouldn't normally you know, theologize, but they do because that's what the passage says. And so I thank you for, for passages like this one. And I just pray you'd help us to like leverage it for our, for our own good and for your glory. I pray that if there's someone in here who needs to have like a mentor relationship or an accountability relationship, that they would pursue it. I pray if there are people here who realize, yeah, I'm going to have to let some of these friendships go. That's going to be hard. So I ask that you would like comfort them and strengthen them as they do it. There may be some people here that need to break up with somebody. That's probably extra hard. But I pray that you'd give them discernment and help them know what to do and lead them and give them courage. There may be people that need to sell something or get out of something or switch to what they do for a living or it might be simply joining a Bible study, joining a community group, getting back to the community group I skip all the time and going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be strategic with these relationships from now on. I don't know what it looks like for all of us, but God, I just pray you'd help us. We pray you'd help us to walk into your wisdom. Pray we would do it for the right reasons, for those of us who already know you. That we would do it not to be accepted by you or to get you to love us more, but because you already love us and we want to follow you. And I pray that if there's anybody in this room that does not know you yet, I pray that they would walk with the wise. And that they would one day become wise, and they would become wise not merely because they walked with the wise, but because the walking with the wise caused them to realize they needed to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they surrender to you as Lord, and that's the beginning of wisdom. And so I pray that you would save people into your wisdom in that way. Thank you that we even get to ask this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let me end with just one last thing I want to say. Um, if you could be made right with God simply by hanging out with wise people, Jesus would not have had to come and die on the cross for your sins. Like sin had to be dealt with. There's a holy God and there's a sinful you and sin had to be dealt with for you to be right with God. And so I wanted to remind you, it is trusting in Jesus, revering him as Lord that is the beginning of wisdom and then continuing to follow him is the continuation of wisdom. And so with that in mind, let me end with these good words from God's word. This is from Hebrews chapter 3. 
These are words given to like a church of people. Watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called the day, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. That is good news.